Good morrow. Good evening. How are things? James. Things are things are progressing. Things are okay. <laughs> things are maybe as good as they can be under the present circumstance. Just, you're you're full of the joys of life anyways. That's a good start to the day. Hey man, why would we have to be full of the joys of life? Is that the way things are like? Yeah, well, it'd be nice to start the day with a bit more positivity than that. Hey man, I get my positivity out of the way. I'm I'm heading towards the evening here. We're heading into the darker hours. All right, I'm going to give you another chance. I'm just going to go three, two, one, and say how's it going, and then we'll start this again. Not in reality. I'll leave the recording going, but you just you're taking the edge off me there. Three, two, one. How's it going? How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> Feeling positive. Do I have to feel positive? <laughs> you go through this a few it's times, the, like, what do you want? It's the, sa- it's the same reply, is it? It's the same reply. So I was watching this movie or this documentary last night, Dogtown and Z-Boys. Have oh, you ever yeah. seen the so, Dogtown Boys? Yeah, yeah. I've seen, I, I think I've seen the other one, there's a couple of them. But this one anyway was the Dogtown Z-Boys. I think I've seen Dogtown before. But it's the same boys anyway, the surfers, skaters. And uh, I was watching it and I was, you know, you know, each decade or each period has its own turmoil you know maybe this is our the tw- the one of the 2020s in this current COVID-19 or whatever you want to call it but you know for them guys in California in the 70s there was droughts you know massive droughts and I don't know if you remember the movie but they used to just like go down the alleyways scouring the neighborhoods for dry pools mm. and you know from that came this style of skating that you know lasts to this day mm. you know this 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 real creative line taking and and skate style that you know you still see in the x games and the half pipes and all that kind of stuff these days mm. and it made me think about you know is there any way in this weird time for jujitsu and you know obviously there'll be loads of good stuff that's going to come with this anyways you know, you know, this current pandemic, you know, whether it's bringing, you know, older people into the getting better at technology or, you know, you could, the list could go on and bringing us all closer together, even though we're getting further apart. There's plenty of positives that's going to come from this. But I was thinking just in a jujitsu setting, you know, is there anything that could come from this, you know, you know, you know, having to work in isolation? Well, what is there, do you think? Or is it just we, we have to sit it out and then we come back? Like, is there anything that could stem from this? Is there a style of jujitsu that could stem from this grappling by yourself? Or is it just, it's that it, it is a, an art, a sport or an art that requires two people to grapple. And it's just, you just have to wait, wait it out. Well, have you, have you followed up those, you know, inquiring thoughts with any answers? for yourself I don't have any answers that's why I was throwing it out there I, I, I have like I only started thinking about last night but I'm I'm wondering maybe it's never apparent at the time because for them skaters they probably didn't realise at the time that they were going to have such an influence yeah. you know just they were just looking for somewhere to skate and they found these cool pools and cool surfaces you know yeah. like maybe what well, is jujitsu in the, the 20 <laughs> in 10 years from now is is uh, you're just grappling people around the house like you know just tackling them and just sending them over the chair and <laughs> maybe it's a <laughs> It's not a it's not a dojo that a uh, grappling goes on, and it's just like random spaces, and by yourself. 
Yeah, it's a funny one, right? Because know. innovation comes a lot of the time because of certain, say, pressure, right? A, a change of constraints within a particular milieu forces some sort of adaptation. And what is the milieu that's relevant to jiu-jitsu? It seems seems tricky without the other person, right, to say that anything truly substantial or substantive might come that would be a genuine adaptation, unless it's like people at home training together. That said, a lot of people are probably studying jiu-jitsu in ways that they hadn't previously and mm. recognizing some of the value of that because a lot of the time you might actually forego the study for the training and i wonder if when people come back having had the study and then they see the impact of that if that will have some sort of trickle on effect i've certainly yeah, i've certainly i certainly feel like say i've been out of jujitsu in the past for extended periods where i just didn't focus on the study aspect at all just you know just ignore jiu-jitsu for six months and come back and felt very dull very very much like i was out you know like i was mm. a- alienated for this from the sport and then coming back it was like okay i'm starting over again but just i'm not doing a lot of study now i'm not doing anything say i'm not like doing uh, drills or anything physical but when I'm when I'm training on the roar I just watch specific videos uh, so Bernardo Faria doing uh, over under stuff and doing the half guard stuff and then the Rob Bernacki core what's it do you remember the videos he did with Stephen Kesting so it was a top game bottom game and uh, core ideas kind of thing so those yeah. those those three or four videos on repeat, and I really feel like not only am I still learning, but or not only am I still say engaged with the sport, but I also feel like I'm learning. You know, I feel like I'll go back. I'll probably be a lot less sharp, a lot less fit, but I certainly haven't dullened in in certain respects, and maybe have improved. Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it's the thing you know that the whittling down, and it's this is kind of what we were striving for anyways in in what we were doing you know we're trying to prep for the masters was to whittle down and and get this game honed in mm. so it, is that in, what you've been doing ways, too is it been focusing on specific videos and uh full transparency that's what i'm trying to do so i'm still guilty of looking up the odd random youtube video that's not relevant to my game or you know but that's but yeah look I'm still any of the instructions I have are related to my game the Ryan Hall one is the one I still go back to I actually got another one off my mate um, John Danaher's uh, my mate John Danaher what's it called front headlock but I haven't started into that one yet as well but they're all relevant to my game so when I do look at them uh, what's the Ryan Hall one you're watching just the arm triangles one. It's very good. So yeah, I'm. But I honestly, yeah, I, I'm. I'm kind of like you. It's like this time away from the mats is allowing more time to whittle down and hone in on the game. Now again, I'm trying to do the Tuesdays and Thursdays thing. It's not working out exactly as you know. It's as as you'd hope, like seven to eight thirty or seven to eight even. 
you know, obviously I've, I'm rearing a baby here as well. So even though I'm trying to hold that time, you know, sometimes it just, you know, it doesn't work like that. The baby's crying at that time and you might just have to pick her up. And But it's mm-hmm. like, it's it's a general template for trying to stay, stay close to that. Uh, I actually do a lot more boxing. <laughs> so shout outs to Triumph there. They let me borrow a boxing bag. Oh, nice. So just been boxing just to keep the old cardio going. I'm actually enjoying punching the bag. It's a good crack. But I still haven't got a good floor. So try to figure out on Monday, I'm trying to get some, trying to get some cheap foam. I see uh, Henry Gracie had a video of what they use in the Gracie Academy. It's like polyethylene and uh, some other thing I have wrote down there. But if I can get some of that cheap, I'm going to just lay it out around the whole garage <laughs> on the gaff yeah nice <laughs> um, instead of buying mats like the mats are the mats are, yeah, they're, they're not cheap and you know you can get jigsaw mats cheap but even now man on Amazon Amazon Prime I don't know if Prime are going to give us our money back or what for paying the Prime fee because Prime's out the window at the moment <laughs> it's like stuff is like a month away even on Prime I don't know what's like there is it the same for you I don't use Prime I didn't know how it works Oh, it's just you pay like 80 bucks a year and everything's there. Like you think about it and it's there. The, uh, <laughs> so w- what about the jigsaw mats? They're, they're presumably not that expensive and they're fairly adaptable. Uh, they're not cheap either. I think everyone's working out at home as well. So there's any of the stuff that, that people are looking at. Do you know, like screen monitors for your home? You can't get like cheap monitors anymore because everyone's working from home. Mm. Everyone's got exercise mats at home. Any of that at home stuff is, uh, is uh, it's tough to come by but I'll sort it I'll sort it but uh, so yeah absent I know we talked about last time John Danaher's three pillars so I'm keeping this, the cardio up I'm keeping my head in the game I noted the last time my movements weren't happening and they're still not happening so I need to get that foam and get that sorted because the carpet's just not cutting it and the size of the bedroom there and cutting it so Anyways, but yeah, look at I, I think there's benefits to come from this and it's going back to our original point. Maybe it is the whittling down, the mental aspect of jiu-jitsu. Maybe you'll return to the mats and you won't be uh, as scattered. Yeah. Or maybe we will. It's hard <laughs> to know. The, uh, maybe. We- <laughs> I was going to say, the, um, there's a bit of an elephant in the room here. Like, how, how, how confident are you that this competition is going to go ahead in a few months? At this point. Right, so people often ask about stoicism and stoicism as it relates to jiu-jitsu and like, you know, what would the stoic answer to that be? Well, it'd be, I can't control whether or not the competition goes ahead or not, but I can control how prepped I am for it. So, like, that's the way I'm looking at this tournament is to not let my foot off the gas, be optimistic. And what's the worst case? Worst case is I'm my jiu-jitsu got better and I'm fit and I don't do the competition. Like, I'm not making sacrifices yeah. that would be stupid in hindsight should the competition not go ahead. So it ha- that's the only way to look at it, man. We have to go full tilt here. Yeah. It's end of August. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just heard that they cancelled Burning Man, which is the end of August. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, sickener. Yeah, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I just noticed too. Uh, you're not wearing any t-shirt, man. I don't know, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with this. Like, what's the story there? Will I just I'm take not off any pants either? Take off the top too. Like, <laughs> I'm joking. I am wearing pants. 
it's funny like working at home all you have to do is wear like a nice shirt a dress shirt and then you just dial in for your meetings to work no pants like you know just, just like wearing the pajamas around the no house pants, like. just, <laughs> just, like, just jumping on the call you, here to take a, off the pants <laughs> as long as you've got the shirt on you know it doesn't matter after that the old uh, you know washing your teeth in the morning <laughs> we talked about that before routine every choice is thicker it's easy to slip out of it it's like, gosh, I'll just wash, I'll just wash them there, you know, after me coffee or lunchtime. Yeah, it does make a difference though, doesn't it? I think people are realizing that too, like the... Routine, rituals? Yeah, a few kind of deviations from the the ideal and you end up in a, you quite quite quickly spiral down. What does, what, all right, so here's, all right, you're saying it might go ahead. What do you think, and this is relates to our initial point, we're going a bit like down different different roads here, but what do you think jujitsu looks like in six months' time? Or relationship to jujitsu, like the no, accessibility no, to just, it. Yeah, well, whatever. Yeah. Like, do you reckon you'll be on the mats or no? Just, I'm not going to hold you to this, but just. Right. So no. here's what I think, right? <laughs> You pause for too long there. Go on. No, keep going. I don't think so. I think, well, so given the nature of jiu-jitsu, the the proximity of it, and I mean, just the (laughs) the obvious, obvious unhygienic kind of, you know, messy, uh, fluidy, virally kind of milieu that it provides, I'd be suspect that it will. Like, I don't think gatherings of any more than a very small few people will be permitted for a while even if things open back up so i don't think pubs or clubs or even if say something like restaurants gets back open as long as they've say enough spacing in them and they can maintain some sort of social distancing measure or physical distancing measures i'd be very suspect that pubs can open back up where you know people are shoulder to shoulder kind of thing pubs are open here some of them reopened no, I don't think they're ever closed well maybe they're all closed now I'm not following the news that well they're I know it changes every the day the but... news here today for, it was um, 8 to 12 months not like full isolation measures but something approximating what we have now like the, people just We're, don't know right so well not to get into well, you know, the <laughs> epidemiology of coronavirus, because, you know, people are hearing that enough everywhere. But I think the, the the real, like, prevailing, well, if there is some sort of emerging consensus is we still don't know enough about the virus to say how the response is going to unfold over the longer term. So it's very hard to predict. Yeah, like, so even if it comes back and, like, if it's a thing, which it seems to be in the countries that are returning to normal, or at least uh, removing full lockdowns and whatnot, it seems as if it's like, you know, people, the vulnerable people, elderly people, people at risk, really are going to have to be cocooning themselves uh, for a while after this. And people that return to normal, like, it will be the case, I I, I see that just healthy people are going to return to work. If you feel symptoms, you go home, you self-isolate. If you've got the virus, you know, it sounds like you're probably going to be immune to it, you know, the next time around. So if between now and 18 months when there's a vaccine, you contract it, you become immune to it, and that's it. So, like, 
yeah, from yeah, a jiu-jitsu I think that's setting, still up in the air, right? That that question. It, it's it is, but like if that is the scenario that plays out, which is probably the most likely at this stage. Yeah. The uh, yeah, you're still going to have a situation where all right, well, jiu-jitsu gyms open. We all have to trust each other that we're, none of us are coming in with symptoms, or and you mightn't even know. So you're you're still going to be running that risk. You're still yeah. going to be running that risk that. So it's almost like just grin and bear to get it and get on with it. Well, so I, I heard an interesting conversation and I don't want to be irresponsible here. So I don't, don't, don't listen to me for the next few minutes because I might not be representing this well, but. We're all experts in coronavirus at the moment, so don't worry about it. Seemingly, say, prior to the advent of proper inoculation and, and vaccine and so on. There used to be like a purposeful exposure, you know, where they'd get people who could tolerate it and expose them to the illness such that you'd kind of build some of that uh, herd immunity, if that's the right word. Again, I'm not you know, on my shaky ground here, but um, someone was suggesting, look, you could have a situation where you could have centers, right, where people show up. And maybe you even incentivize it a little and you say, look, we'll cover your your work costs and we'll give you some sort of rebate and all you have to do is infect yourself, take the risk. You know, you'll be here, we'll have the treatment. But if we can do this at large numbers, we might be able to infect a population that can get back out and get working very quickly. This is coming from serious people, like trying to think through these ideas who are saying know, yeah. the ideas we have presently are just like band-aids. Yeah, just band-aids and just the initial response to what we don't really know is going to unfold right over the longer term. Mm. I know there yeah, have been cases of time. reinfection. Like there definitely have been some cases. Well, there was it was anecdotally, was it? I don't know how true that is. Maybe, yeah, maybe I should stop there. Yeah, we just leave it there. <laughs> right. Uh, no, but it's an interesting time. And so I don't, I don't know myself. Yeah, maybe 2020 is a write-off and I don't know. Well, look, there's but been plagues look in the past. <laughs> fucking Isaac Newton wrote the, you know, the Principia, didn't he? In, in in the space of three or four years when he was on, on, on yeah, self-isolation yeah, from the plague. There you go, man. <laughs> Get your yeah, shit but, together. Uh, like. uh, how was his grappling game? Exactly. Old Isaac. <laughs> Uh, maybe yeah maybe boxing maybe boxing the bag is is what we need to be doing for a while maybe someone needs to invent something that allows people to (laughs) (laughs) box bags yeah the um talk about that again oh well look at anyways you know the answer is i'm going to keep trying to prep as best i can however that looks i don't know what that looks like but we'll keep going you know, maybe 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 everything's cool in a month's time and everyone's back to normal and there's a quick test and a quick vaccine and happy days and you could just get on the mats. And, yeah, yeah. And like maybe, but, maybe uh, is there anyone, say, in your town that you could actually train with that you know has been isolating that you could say, look, we'll set up a couple of mats? Yeah, yeah. But like that, that would be the theory that, you know, any, everyone that does return, oh, we've all been looking after ourselves. But how can you ever say that you're fully... Well, you can, fully. but you can say, well, I know this person is reasonably trustworthy to maintain certain hygiene standards. Because, yeah. you know, you'd we all know off. people be better <laughs> that we'd rather not roll with on the best of days and would be even more suspect about going forward. 
yeah, that's um that's a weird dynamic there. But the you'd be better off finding someone that's if you, if you had it and you become immune to it and they had it and they become immune to it and then you just get on with it. Yeah. Infect the whole jujitsu gym. <laughs> Anyways, so it, we've talked about this before, and I think it's a good time to talk about it. And I just want to let you do a bit of a brain dump. But when you are the product of the five people you associate with, you know, and you think that is eco behavioral design is a response to that when you don't have that facility. Now you really don't have that facility, at least in the physical sense. Mm. You know, it, it, does that mean that eco behavior design is is more prevalent, or I think, but even eco behavior design aside, you know, how, what are your views on on the way that the world is currently working and the way you're currently interacting with people and and how that might still hold true? Uh, <sighs> okay, this is a big question now. <laughs> so it's a bit multi pronged there. I think. Um, Remind me. Maybe so, start with the first question so, first. How your take on the you are the five people that you most yeah, associate with? Yeah, that's in a where general I was going to start say because we haven't, you know, we haven't really went into that very much, but for mentioning it maybe in the past. Right, so we all have at least some awareness that sociality matters, right? That our relationship to other people has some bearing on who we are. I mean. Just look at your accent, right? Just look at the words you use, the language you use. Just look at the phrases you employ and even the gestures. And all of that represents, right, you being embedded in a larger culture of which you are some sort of product. And we do. Did you um, Did you meet somebody in the last 24 hours that said the word milieu? Because you've used it a few times already today. <laughs> Maybe I'm writing using that word recently or something. Well, that's actually a, a good little name for the episode. Kind of a double, oh, double click on a finer detail on the point we're making anyway, right? It's like the patterns that surround you get picked up and get incorporated right into the into the body schema and reflect those larger patterns of which you're a part. So that's kind of broadly acknowledged in a lot of ways, but we we kind of lose sight of it too, right? We have this very strong sense of our own individuality and our sense of our own identities. And even in the West, particularly in the West, you know, there's a celebration of individual freedoms and individual rights and self-expression, self-determination, right? All these words are familiar, autonomy, and, you know, part of what comes with that is this kind of at least implicit sense that you're sh- you're shaping the kind of person that you are and that you want to be. And, you know, I've challenged that a little bit in the past already, right, saying that uh, the constraints of your environment and so on are, are important. But for us, undoubtedly, right, the most, say, consequential constraints in any environment are the other people within that environment. You know, there's all sorts of examples of that, but one of my favourite kind of illustrative examples of just how true this is, is imagine, for instance, you find yourself at your birthday party or something along those lines. Oh, you'd be familiar with this kind of situation anyway. 
and you suddenly find yourself in the company of say two groups of friends that have mutually exclusive relationships with you right so um, your friends from work are there but also the lads are there <laughs> mm. right and there's this sense of being torn right there's a sense of i don't even know how to act i don't even know how to hold my hands right um or i don't know some of the things i'm saying just keep just stand at the barbecue that's the key there <laughs> exactly find the fire <laughs> and stare into it <laughs> right and even in anticipation of a situation like that you feel a lot of pain right <laughs> even like oh this is coming up and there's a sense of like a challenge to your own identity right and this kind of all sorts of weird guilt and shame and like questions around loyalty and all of these things, right? And what do all these, say, feelings reflect, right? Say in their absence, say you're just with the lads or you're just with the work people. You don't have any of those feelings, right? You don't have the guilt or shame or the tension as much. You might know if something is kind of going uh, outside of your own kind of values or whatever and you find yourself involved in some activities that you'd rather not be part of or something like that but for the most part you know that's not happening it's just like you're engaging with a certain particular set of friends or group or whatever in a very particular way and it has a particular feel about it and you don't really think too much about it right you're just involved in it you're kind of well situated you're partaking kind of pre-reflectively right you're not really thinking about it you're just geared into it so why i use this example right is because what it seems to highlight is something like a breakdown in a way right there's a breakdown of the normal structure and when we kind of observe the breakdown we get a sense for the structure that exists there normally right uh, this is a kind of common method within philosophy to to use these kind of disrupted situations to tell us something about what the situation is normally. So what does it suggest, right? Is that, that's a situation you're familiar with, right? Yeah. Well, what it seems to suggest is, right, in the normal situation, there's this whole kind of pattern or network of habits that gear me into this group or into this relationship without me having to think about it whatsoever, right? That says something about um, even my thinking doesn't relate to that gearing in as such, but is a consequence of it, right? In a sense, right, what, what I would claim is that you have these more primary bodily relationships to people which are there's all sorts of language here that I'm trying to go to avoid because it get quite technical, but that are very, say, I meet you, you meet me, our bodies start to resonate in a certain way. And part of that resonance is a kind of pattern, right? A kind of stable enough pattern that emerges in the relationship between us over time. And our thinking then, in some sense, sits on top of that pattern, right? That bodily pattern. Our thinking then becomes a kind of regulation of that relationship that is more primary, right? So if I'm in a situation with you and, you know, all of a sudden we find the boundary of some sort of conversation that we've never had before, 
right? There's a sort of, oh, we're touching on topics that we don't really talk about and there's a kind of pulling back to a safer space, right? There's a kind of homeostasis. Do you know that word? No. A kind of return to a kind of stability, right? There's a particular order that emerges. So the claim would be in relationship with other people or in relationship with groups, patterns emerge, they become very habitual, and then they form a kind of background for ongoing interactions. Does it make any sense? Mm. Now, when we think about that idea of you are, say, the product of the five people that you most closely associate with. What emerges in a relationship, right, is this kind of attunement, right? So if I meet you and I aspire in some sense to be like you or be like the group that you're part of, a kind of adaptive response is mobilized in me in a sense. And what I start to do is start to kind of attune to uh, the behaviors and so on that reflect you or that group, right? So, for instance, you move to the States and although you're Irish, right, you find yourself in a situation where there's no other Irish people. And maybe consciously or unconsciously, you see that people aren't taking you seriously or you want certain outcomes to, say come about for yourself and all of this is very subtle right you don't actually have to be thinking about it necessarily even though it might inform your thoughts but what what you start to notice is you attuning in some sense right to this group so you'll start to see certain things emerge in your accent right your accent changes a little bit now not necessarily but it can or your preferences what you find interesting right it starts to shape your attention in interesting ways things start to emerge from the environment or you become sensitive to things in the environment that you wouldn't have been previously. Go on, you look like you're going to say something. No, And is that just because, like, you're subtly taking these on because you're trying to fit in with the group or it's just you're trying to, or you're, you're uh, subconsciously just attuning anyways? Yeah, so these are interesting questions. And, you know, when we use words like you've just used, there's also assumptions built into some of those words. So it's hard to, like, disentangle that perfectly in a way that's perfectly satisfying. But I would say, depending on, if you want to kind of distill it, depending on the kinds of things that, say, excite you, for instance, the, the kinds of things that move you towards a more, say, fulfilling relationship to the world, those those groups who reflect those things, right, will in some sense attract you already. And then in order to, say, find yourself in relationship with those groups, then you start that kind of process of attunement, right? Yeah. So... The idea would be. So there's always an attunement of sorts, you're saying. Like, the attunement never stops, say, right? The attunement is ongoing no, all the time. So if there's like, if there's a group and say there's, right, you, you've got a group of friends and then there's this 
and you're maybe a, a quieter group of friends, then this like lunatic person comes along. Now, they look like good fun, but they're they're totally out of whack with what is your groups. But there's still an attraction for you wanting to incorporate them into your group. Right. Or is there is there some form of attunement going on there that even though it's like does it, that those characteristics might be totally foreign to what what is currently held, or do you do you foresee? Or are you looking at you and you see like um, the qualities in in say this person that might be good for the group or for you, or or is there another thing going on there where where that is uh, you might want to leave your current group and get closer to that person to to change your it's like you yeah, know, yeah. overlapping circles. So here's. Here's where it gets really interesting, right? Because, and this goes back to the situation I was describing, right? Where you have these kind of two mutually exclusive sets of relationships and all of a sudden now they're brought into a larger whole, right? We, we in that situation, not only get an insight into our relationship to other people, right? But the kinds of things we are, right? And this is why I talk a lot about the limitations of the notion of the individual, right? Because what you start to see is you're, I use this language of, you're multiply animated, right? So you're animated by multiple structures, none of which are essentially reducible to the you, right? So the self becomes a kind of polycentric being. Some people talk about the individual right it's no longer the individual but rather this this overlapping structure right that is somehow unveiled or disclosed in that situation where you have these various groups kind of you acting as mediator right and trying to bring one person into the group and say oh yeah he's actually a lovely person uh you just have to get to know him right because you have some sort of shared resonance on a deeper level with this person. Other people kind of looking at that person and thinking, who the fuck is this? And then looking at you <laughs> and thinking, well, I know that fella's all right. So you end up as some sort of weird link in some sort of weird chain. But this is the th- kind of thing, right, that is structure and identity all the time. It's just that most of us, most of the time, stay reasonably within groups with which we're familiar. Right? Yeah. And those of us who don't and who kind of transverse groups a lot of the time actually end up with this kind of challenging sense of our own identity, right? Because we don't have those very strict constraints and those well-defined, say, channels within which we might operate and structures. So if you take that back then to the five people you're most closely associated with, you can think about that as actually decent enough heuristic right because it's when you say the five people i most associate with or aspire to be or something you're kind of saying okay these are the say categories of people who excite me in some sense right and they in in a, in a very gen, genuine sense maybe represent these various aspects of my identity and when i'm attuning there's some sort of balance that's emerging between all of those things right so you're attuning and attuning and trying to manifest some sort of coherence and 
when you feel something is out, right, you start to adjust to it and incorporate whatever it is that you think will allow you to adapt to whatever it is that you felt you were lacking. And those relationships, right, really highlight that because when you enter into a relationship, you become very sensitive to the dynamics of that relationship, right? So if you're in relationship with one of these people whom you aspire to be like or associate with or, you know, and you're engaging with them, right? This is, say, the the centrality of the role of, say, social interaction and face-to-face interaction in particular. What you're trying to do all the time is maintain a certain quality in the relationship, right? You can think about that quality as a kind of very basic stability. So right now, me and you, right, we're having this conversation. And a minute ago, I noticed you looking down at the floor and when I notice you looking down at the floor, I have a sense of losing the stability of the interaction, right? There's a coordination that was ongoing and I value that just implicitly. And when I see you looking down at the floor, I feel, oh, this is this is going off kilter a little bit or this I'm losing the stability. And right, my sensitivity to that starts to guide my action. And I, all of a sudden I start speaking louder. <laughs> and then I notice you look back up, right? And then I can settle back down a little bit. So there's a sense of which I'm trying to attune. But in order to attune, right, I have to accommodate this kind of shared norm. Now, if that shared norm is something about, say, a particular relationship to, say, finances or politics or whatever the case, um, what I'm doing in my attunement in the relationship is also incorporating those ideals into my being, right? So... I'm constantly attuning to you or whoever the other five people it is that uh, I most closely associate with. And in so doing, uh, incorporating those aspects into my being, right? Because I'm trying to, in some sense, maintain this distributed coherence amongst all these um, these elements. And is there, is there, all right, first of all, I was actually looking at the floor there. Um, so You weren't? I was, uh, I had to uh, just text my wife uh, something and I was trying to do it discreetly without jumping on my phone while you're talking so sorry about that <laughs> just don't be a dick anymore man she, she just said I just like died a death and just started looking at the floor going what's he on about <laughs> totally uh, <laughs> but is there a case right if, if you're so like you're, ta- you're talking s- since there is the stability more important and the need to attune than you just like sticking with like right if you're so if you are of good character and you're for instance just in this you were talking some good sense there just because i've veered off and i've looked to the floor why is the stability right i just using it's a bad example why is this you trying to get the stability back more important than you just sticking by your guns and going well let him fall off i don't care about the achievement i don't care if he yeah so it's it's if we have the stability, it's not always right. It's just because we're social animals, and that's the whole point. Yeah, is it? Uh, but this is a very interesting question, and you know, like this stuff I'm saying, right, is my PhD work. So it's not like there's a load of empirical support for any of this. Um, this is just me cashing out how to think about these ideas. You know, also building on the work of other people. But uh, you know, this this these really are the, the core ideas of my PhD. So. The this is a great question because I think it actually reflects something about how, say, power dynamics enter into these 
kinds of attunements, right? So think about the situation where <laughs> I'm going to use a jiu-jitsu example because it'll be pertinent to people. Think about the situation where there's a, a brand new white belt who you've never met before, who's a new face, who might never come again to the gym. And, you know, although you maybe you want to be nice to them, right, they're they're not showing up for you so much right in terms of like their presence in the gym now think about the the black belt right who runs the gym and who maybe is some sort of authority in that in that space now think about your attunements to each of those people right so if you're in conversation with the white belt now this is generic enough right all sorts of people have all sorts of qualities and just because they're white belts doesn't mean that you won't have the same admiration. You could really aspire to be like a white belt. I'm just using the gradation to try and simplify things. Mm. Your attunement to the white belt, you will be in some sense less entrained to them as you would be to the black belt, right? So you'll work harder to maintain the stable relationship to the black belt and therefore attune to them than you might to the novel white belt and in a sense they might actually be working harder to entrain to you than you to them right this is not necessarily the case as i'm saying but if you use the kind of hierarchy of authority in a gym to think through this stuff you'd be able to acknowledge some degree of it in yourself right so if you enter a learning space you have to be able to simplify that space to know what to pay attention to right you and we do this effectively automatically right we don't think through it but if you think about it we all do something very similar right so we enter a space we look around for who's the queen or king of the space right who has the authority to coordinate everybody else in the space and then we value their word over anybody else in the space in some sense, right? They have the ability to mediate, to kind of direct things, to shape things, to facilitate things. So they, in some sense, set the kind of bar to which everybody in that space is uh, optimally attuning. And in some sense, your ability to be successful in that space reflects your ability to attune to whatever it is that they present as the kind of norms of the space. Does that make sense? So you might just eventually get to a point where you're so confident in your identity, right? And the things that you're saying, and this might be very, say, domain specific, right? If I was having a conversation about these kinds of things and somebody started challenging me on it, I'd be much more confident than if I was having a conversation about the uh, stock market coronavirus or the coronavirus uh, you know because I have some authority in it and you know what that person reflected to me wouldn't necessarily um, augment my attempts to adapt to what they've said in the same way that it would if they were an authority in whatever space we were talking about so does all of that make sense yeah. But then it's a question of okay, well, we're in this situation with the coronavirus. How does this alter maybe what's going on for people? So, 
my own interest in this kind of stuff actually emerged from periods of relative isolation. Uh, Self-isolating is not new for me at all. And at one point I lived in relative isolation here in Mayo for nearly two years, actually two years. And, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of challenges, like say psychological challenges during that time because in some sense right the people with whom you're surrounding and in contact with help say reproduce the patterns of identity that that say structure and shape your attention and how you relate to the world right so when you interact with someone in a certain way it kind of confirms something about you right uh, say if, for instance just off the top of my head if you think you're funny <laughs> right and that's like central to your uh, identity um and you're having interactions with people and they're laughing there's a kind of feedback process where you kind of oh, i'm funny i'm funny <laughs> oh if that's gone or if people just stopped laughing right nobody laughed anymore, <laughs> you'd very quickly start to go I'm, I'm not actually that funny right now if your whole identity is built on you've been funny and now you no longer have the opportunity to be funny right because you're not in contact with people such that you can get that feedback you'll start to kind of drift a bit and be like maybe i'm funny maybe i'm not funny at all and that kind of thing works right right across your identity. So that's true for so many things in your identity. So when you're absent other people, right, who actually have this confirming ability, what they're doing is helping you rehabituate that identity, right, sediment it, reproduce it. And when you don't have them to uh, engage with, you can actually start to drift a bit. And then other things can take that place, right? So you might start to, confirm something about your identity or assert something really strongly just to maintain an identity right so people in say isolation in prisons will experience like incredible torture ruminating on ideas and things and aspects of themselves just because right they're absent any sort of input you know things start to kind of loop and create a lot of problems for them So one thing to keep in mind in this kind of situation is, okay, how can you, in a sense, maintain proxies for those things, even if you can't have direct access to them? You know, how can you kind of, in some sense, shore up the identity that would normally be shored up by others, if you think it's worth shoring up, right? Maybe some of us need a bit of a decohering... You know, and a reset, yeah. And all of us probably do in some sense, right? Because I think many of our habits and identities contribute to the way to the world in ways that we probably wouldn't want to if we st- st- stood back and reflected. So, yeah. in terms of proxies, things like, right? So, you, you just to use an example, like my identity as a pressure passer is a real thing. Right, and I do have a sense of that as being um, me, in some sense, and that identity is maintained by watching Bernard Freya pressure pass. Yeah, you know, and 
You're also funny as well. So me laughing at your jokes is probably helps you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's my there's my thoughts on some of that stuff. So yeah, you just yeah in the isolation. But it's it's a weird one though because you're often not very aware of what it is. You'd have to really kind of you know consider what you are or yourself or your own identity to then see what might be missing in this period of uh, non-sociality to see what you might need to supplement yeah, if I, you need to yeah, supplement. I wouldn't worry about but, it too But the much, thing about so, it too know. is like is, yeah, you're, you're going to come back and once you go back to normal and you say like in the same way you had, um, you might have met somebody in 10 years and you meet them and you immediately fall into these patterns and behaviors and stuff like that. You know, it's not as if it's going to go by the wayside either. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, when I say, when I reflect on that time in Mayo for myself where I, you know, decohered radically. <laughs> uh, it was also the most powerful, you know, period of my life in, in some sense, recovering from that. And, 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 and in a, and in a genesis, sense, not only like finding yourself, but uh, making yourself a kind of finding yeah. making, you know, this, this kind of like becoming sensitive to, how best you you can show up in the world. Mm. So something to think about there. So when I come back from all this, I'm going to be the product of my wife, my baby, bottle of wine, <laughs> the boxing bag. <laughs> well, it's interesting, isn't it, how these things like imprint on us, you know, and, and like for instance, now you just started boxing uh, which is something you haven't done a lot of, but now when yeah. you go out in the world and you see boxing bags, they'll they'll stand out from the background a little bit more, right? Because now they're part of the structures that you call you, and you know what we what we know about those structures, interestingly, is that they're organized in a way to to reproduce themselves, right? So that means that they're looking for information in the environment that allows them to 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 maintain a kind of stability. Mm. Mm. Um, which is a, an interesting idea when you expand it say to the domains of which we're not going to do here politics religion science and so on right because you get these structures mm. that are and you know you hear language like confirmation bias um, implicit bias all of these yeah. ideas but I think actually th so, this yeah. kind of stuff I'm talking about here gives us a really good background to actually make sense of all that so can I say, can I call myself a boxer now? Is that what you're saying? Well, you've always been a boxer man in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> you did actually hit me a slap once. I don't think I ever hit you a slap, but... I didn't hit you a slap. Well, you tried to. When? I remember it well. <laughs> Do you want the details? Like? I don't remember trying to hit you. Not really, no, do I? No. I don't know. My cringe. <laughs> My cringe, right? I don't remember trying to hit you. So I remember wrestling you for like f four or five years. I remember throwing a ball at you and then you hit the ball with the crowbar and the crowbar went back in and hit you in the head. Yeah. That's the slap you're no, I still have that scare, yeah. That was some day. Uh, well, if we knew how to grapple, then you should have been, you could have taken my back when I went to win a gun with a punch. I remember I used to, uh, every day at lunchtime in school, I'd fight, I'd fight some of the lads in my class wrestling and I remember like just 
kind of figuring out hip tosses and you know figuring out things that are judo yeah throws. yeah that uh, are kind of coming back to me now in in some sort of technical form but you know you're doing it so much that you just kind of happen upon this really effective technique <laughs> i pity we didn't have yeah. proper technique back then jeez you'd have been feeling that it's like all right very good thanks for this thank you i'm not going to say stay safe what's your thoughts when people say that i think it's kind of nice no yeah maybe. why what are your thoughts well it's almost like well stay safe oh thanks for that yeah sound i was go i was gonna go out there and start licking you know some cynical handles. prick like <laughs> that's just say it to the next person who says it to you just be like oh yeah sound yeah thanks yeah what do you expect me to do man just go out there and start licking handles is that what you're expecting me to do? <laughs> yeah you stay safe too buddy <laughs> uh, yeah no I don't I, I don't mind it so stay safe <laughs> stay safe everybody everyone out there don't lick don't go out and lick uh, shopping cart handles that's probably good advice yeah radio leave it there thanks for this thanks for that Ooh. actually um so yeah, if you want to get in contact, hit us up on the Twitter, Mark M. James, on the Instagram at Ecobeable Designs, or on the email at well at I shouldn't say on the email, <laughs> or I should. It's confusing me now. On the email, at <laughs> hey man, it's it's confusing enough to try and get in contact with you, anyways. So a bit more confusing. Ecobehavedesigns so. at gmail.com. <laughs> go with that. It's ecobehavedesign. There you go. Stay <laughs> safe, people. <laughs> uh,